Now, what we're going to do today, I grabbed for this Sunday, I'm, I did this, I don't know why, uh, one of the most beautiful passages that is, there's so much here that I'm going to do in about 10 minutes, so I'm not going to do all of it, um, but I, I want to use this to help frame what we're up to with baptisms. We've been, during the last couple Sundays, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke, 2,000 years ago, wrote, uh, not necessarily to us today, because he didn't know that there was going to be a Bible, uh, he wasn't sitting at a table waiting for some angelic word to drop down and write these spiritual writings. He was a doctor. He was someone who was looking at the history. He was looking at the facts and trying to tell the story of what was happening with Jesus. He saw it impacting himself and so many others. He said, man, this is worth documenting. And now we end up seeing it in the lens of the Bible. Uh, but really, Luke is in so many ways someone like us in this room that was captured by the story of Jesus and to document it. And he captures this moment where Jesus is confronted uh, by a number of religious leaders, like professional Christians, like me, walking up to uh, Jesus and actually being uh, put out that he's hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. And, and what this religious elite group, the Pharisees, is saying is that how could you be hanging out with those people? They were Gentiles. They were not of the Jewish faith. They were people who were seen unclean. Tax collectors were actually the worst of the worst. They, were, they, they actually betrayed their own people on behalf of the Roman government. You would grow up saying to your parents, well, at least I'm not a tax collector. That was the lowest of the low. And they come to him and say, how why, how could you, I mean, just going in on Jesus and, and to eat with people back then wasn't just sitting at a nice clean table. It was to be dipping shared food together. It was to be lounging around on the floor, leaning on one another. It was actually a setting of intimacy and they come to him. And then he starts maybe one of the most beautiful stories in three parts, a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And so what we've been doing is calling this lost and found because even today we celebrate the fact that Jesus came to say that I am here to seek and to save the lost. Now, I don't know about you, but right now, lostness is not something I would want to wear proudly. I mean, you could watch me in like Homes or Lowe's or Home Depot. Like if I am going to try and find something, I am not asking a single person what aisle it's on. I will wander for an extra half hour because I don't want to admit that I'm lost in Home Depot or Lowe's. I am going to find this on my own. And culturally, I think a thing that has happened over time is that there's been a separation of those who have been in church who might consider themselves lost and those who are outside of church uh, are found and those who are outside of church are lost. And I think that what can happen over time as Christians, as people... We could even say, man, I'm found. Those people are lost. And then we say things, and you see bumper stickers like, not, not all who wander are lost. And this can oftentimes be a push back to a Christian narrative that can become self-righteousness, that, that I have found it and others need to find it. And then we can start to separate that, that if I'm lost, it actually means that I am not valued, that I do not have worth. And this is what the Pharisees are confronting Jesus in. And and Jesus goes on to tell these stories, and he, he picks up in the third one. I'm going to grab a few things of this that I think are important for us as we consider life with Jesus today, and especially those who are being baptized, and for those to remember our baptism. He goes into the story here in Luke. Let's go to the next one. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. 
The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Now, real quick, you and I, uh, we don't necessarily live in the same time where uh, the family estate was really everything to that family. You were known by the family estate. One of the things that was built in is that the older son would receive most of the inheritance, but once the father passed, it would be the sons that would take the inheritance of that family. And what this son is doing is essentially going to his father and saying, I do not care about you. I care about the things that you can give me. It would be better if you died so that I could get the things that I'm going to get eventually. And very quickly... The Pharisees listening in on this would be appalled by this, especially by this next action where he says, so he divided his property between them. No father would ever do this. The father actually would have every right to beat and to push out the son who just came and basically said, I I wish you were dead. Father, I wish you were dead. I don't want you. I want your things. And he continues. Not so long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. I, you can, right now, just start to imagine wild living. And I feel like you're a good, innocent Christian. Take what you think wild living is and like, try to like, maximize it by 10. I mean, this is where he's at. He is wildly living with the wealth uh, that his father has given him. And he goes and he squanders it all. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be... In need. Continues. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Very quickly, the son is not going back saying, hey, can I be one of your servants who actually would live in the house with the father? He's saying, can you make me a hired servant? What was common in this day is that if someone owed a debt, they would go to work for somebody so that they could actually earn back. They could, they could work the good graces back. So in his mind right now, he's saying, man, I've messed up. I need to go back. I need to go to my father and I need to actually say, hey, I have something to work out so that you can receive me back into the family. I owe you a debt and I need to earn it back. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Is there one more before that? Deal right there. Was filled with, you guys got the cheat code. It's like me in economics class in college. Um, Filled with what? Don't say it. What would you be filled with? Anger. How could you? I mean, his son is coming back, and he squandered everything. He not only took the estate, but, but to skip town very quickly, he would have sold it off for even nothing just to have some cash in his pocket. His father has been completely humiliated in the village, and even more humiliated because he actually gave it to him. And now all of a sudden, his, he sees his son far off. Oh, Manny, could you, be, could you imagine? Like, what are you filled with in that moment? Everything that he's done to his father. Now back to the answer. He was filled with compassion 
He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. This moment right here, a a patriarchal father in a village, what would happen in this moment is that he would actually lift up his, his robe, his beautiful robe, to show his feet, to show his ankles, to show his legs, which would be a completely humiliating thing for not only a man, but especially a father to do that he's actually exposing himself into a humiliating position. Men above 25 did not walk, I mean, did not run, they walked. And, and when he says, ran off and ran to a son, it actually says that he raced towards him, using certain language that they would understand and say, he would never, why would he run to him? We don't, we don't run, we don't do that. Another piece that would happen is anyone who was a vagabond coming through town at that time, children would, would actually follow them through the village as they were passing through and ridicule them and make fun of them. And as they left town, and what would happen, and this, this would actually catch the imagery in the village of all the people who were outside and all the kids, and they would actually start to laugh and to point and to make up a song of a father who was humiliating himself, running to his son, abandoning all of his pride, abandoning what others think of him in the village, abandoning everything that he's worked to to this point, and he to his son. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Next slide. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Next slide. The first thing. We have three things, and this next part's going to happen pretty quick. The transformational power of value is what we're talking about. What I propose to you this morning is that there's a value that you and I have been given by a father who is weighted for his son. We see in the the lost sheep that there's a value of pursuit. We see with the woman who lost her coin the value of longing for something. And here we see the value of waiting and, of course, many other values. But what it looked like for lostness to actually have a value that a, a father is willing to humiliate himself and run towards And one of the first things we see very quickly is Jesus actually redefines who God is here. In every sense of what a patriarchal father is supposed to look like, Jesus repaints the narrative of one who would give himself away even to the point of humiliation for a son who absolutely does not deserve it. And what he's not propelled by is anger and wrath and and whatever vengeance. He's not propelled by that. He's actually compelled by compassion that Jesus redefines who God is as a compassionate father. We'll see an image here shortly, and and what you'll notice in Rembrandt's painting is actually one hand looks like that, more more of a man's hand, and the right hand looks more like a woman's hand. He rewrites that God is not wrathful or vengeful, that he is compassionate, that he is loving, that he is kind, he's willing to humiliate himself. Next slide. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. This is Act 2. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come. He replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf. They did not do this often. They did not eat meat often. This was a massive celebration. You only hold this when something absolutely epic happens. In the sight of all people, nothing epic has happened because he has him back safe and sound. Next slide. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Next slide. 
Secondly, Jesus redefines sin. Oftentimes we can think that sin is this morality that's separate from God. It's doing bad things. And we see that in the son who ran, the lost son who leaves and he goes to squander the wealth, to squander the things that God has invited him to, the, the, the father that has cared for him. And he goes and he, into to lostness, to wild living. And oftentimes we can see sin as that. But then very quickly to the older brother who stayed and did everything that he thought he was supposed to do, how quickly... Do the bad things we do get in the way of God, but also how quickly do the good things we do get in the way of our relationship with God? Right now, we can sit here and we can look at those who are quote-unquote lost if you consider yourself found. And, and, and all of a sudden now, it actually becomes more about our morality or our good behavior or the things that we do right. And now, shouldn't we deserve more? But how quickly are we now trying to actually earn love and in a life with God just by being good, it's the same exact thing that we're trying to find life through the things that we desire more. He redefines sin not just as being lost from badness, but also being lost from goodness. Continues. But when his son, the son of yours, was squandered, your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. Next slide. Lastly, he redefines salvation. If you notice, but, but when the son was far off and the father saw him and ran to him, he actually left the house. He, he, he would have seen him on the horizon of the village and left his comfort, left his throne, left everything, ran towards the son. And then the first thing he does as he kisses him. Before the son could change, before the son could say, here's all the things I plan to do with my life differently, before he could actually show that he was not still doing wild living, before he could earn back life with his father, he kisses him. He puts a ring on his finger. He gives him the robe, which would have been his own robe, and he throws a party and he kills a fattened calf. It's the pursuit of the father that leads to repentance, not uh, repentance leading to the pursuit of the father. He changes what it means to be saved. That it's not me. It's not on me to do more, to do right, or to, to do better. It's to receive a father who is running at me in all abandon and humility to throw a party and to say, come in. And at the same time, you see with the older brother, who's the good one, he leaves his house and goes to the older brother and invites him into the party in the same exact way. He says, man, you've been here the whole time. We don't have to throw the party. We don't have to do it because you've been here. Come inside. Stop sitting on the outside and judgmentally looking at everything that someone else is doing as we celebrate those who have come to find the Lord. He, he redefines salvation. It's not on you. It's not on me. It's on God's loving, compassionate pursuit. It's out of His goodness and His care that we let Him put a robe on us, put a ring on our finger, put sandals on our feet and restore us to a family, to a father, as a sibling, as a child. Jesus here destroys the Pharisees. Everything that they thought was right has just been flipped upside down. And what's crazy is this is where the story ends. What do we do with that? 
Did he go back in? I don't know. Did they like mend and everything was great? I don't know. But isn't this what he leaves the Pharisees to decide? Do you see, Pharisees, how you were the older brother standing on the outside? Judgmentally looking at others while you only seek yourself. While your goodness stands in the way of being inside the party. And for those sitting on the fringes of their community, the sinners and the tax collectors, those that have no value in their culture, stand there, ready to receive a compassionate and loving Father, to feast with. This image here, I think, Rembrandt captured very well. I know it's not the greatest for you being up here this far back, but we see a Father Thank you. Putting on his arms around a son, a daughter, those who are willing to come to him. You can make what you want of those that are sitting around. You can make what you want of the brother. Which ways are you wandering? Is any of your goodness getting into, in the way of your relationship with God? Is any of your badness getting in the way of your relationship with God? This morning, may you be reminded that God is willing to hike his robe, to humiliate himself, to do all the heavy lifting of restoring you, renewing you, receiving you, transforming you. And may we celebrate baptism and a God who is doing that for all. So let's tell some stories. Sound good?